He's either right at the top or my favorite missionary that we support. I love Brother Ben Bounds. I have from the very first time we met. I don't know what it was about him. I don't know if he's redneck or what, but we connect. Amen? And uh, we, we, we do uh, have a big time there. Brother Ben Bounds is uh, with Faith International Partners. It's, uh, if you look in your book, I was looking in there. If you look in your book, if you still have it in your Bible, if you look at the bottom, uh, at the bottom of the page, you'll see there uh, Ben and Linda Bounds and then Faith International Partners, the 1040 window. Uh, you know we are, we are trying to focus on church planning in unreached people groups. Are you with me? Say amen. Trying to reach them people on that wall out there, that, that group of 441 million people who've never heard the gospel. And this is, this is one of the ways we're going, and I'm not going to tell him or tell everything. He, he can share with you what they're doing and, and, and just share whatever God's got on his heart tonight. He's got the whole floor, and uh, I'm excited to, uh, uh, for him to be here. But before he comes, before he comes, let's open with a word of prayer and just ask the Lord to bless tonight. Uh, how many of y'all will, will join me and, 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 and will again ask, will again ask tonight, God, what will you have me to do? Right? Say it with me. God, that's the question. That's the question. Whatever he speaks to our heart, let's be obedient to him uh, this coming month. All right? Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness, and Lord, thank you for Brother Ben and the ministry that he's involved in and the, and the souls that are being saved through his efforts and uh, through our partnership together. God, I pray that you'll just anoint him tonight, give him the words to say. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll encourage him. I pray he'll leave more encouraged than we are. I pray that your touch will be upon him. Lord, be with all of our people. Uh, they're, 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 they're all here. They worked hard all day, tired, wore out. But God, I pray that you'll just infuse them with your touch and your favor so that they'll be energized and excited to go out in this world and share the gospel. I pray your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people saying, how many of y'all would help me welcome Brother Ben Bounds to Temple tonight? Yes, I am guilty as charged. I am a redneck. Somebody asked me out in the vestibule a while ago, said, where are you from? I said, nowhere, right in the middle of it. You've heard of the hick from the sticks? Piney Woods of South Mississippi. I was born in Hattiesburg, but raised about 30 miles down the southwest corner, about a mile from the Pearl River County line. Uh, when I moved to Tennessee, and after hunting in the woods and fishing around a few years up there, I asked them, do y'all have many snakes here in Tennessee? And they said, oh, yeah, we got lots of them. Well, after being there a few years, I said, well, if they've got a lot of snakes in Tennessee, then we have the nursery for the whole southeast and south Mississippi. Cottonmouths and, and uh, copperheads and, and those bell-tailed lizards. Who knows what a bell-tailed lizard is? Diamondbacks, <laughs> rattlesnakes, okay? Now, uh, yeah, I'm a country boy. My two favorite hymns are Victory in Jesus and A Country Boy Can Survive. <laughs> now, I've lived in, uh, in Tennessee in Sumner County since 1976, 41 years. Last year on the 40th year, they finally gave me my honorary Tennessee title, okay? Took a long time to get that. Uh, they gave me my honorary Tennessee title. They said, I am now an honorable hydromatic mountaineer. <laughs> Who knows what a hydromatic mountaineer is? <laughs> I've got one over here that knows. <clears throat> a hydromatic mountaineer. That's a big 29-cent word for a shiftless hillbilly. <laughs> 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 
All right. Now, let's get right into the work right here. Um, we've been, uh, my wife and I met at Bible College, and we've been in full-time ministry 49 years together. First 33 and a half years, we worked in five different churches in three different states. Two of those were in, in uh, Middle Tennessee area. In 2001, God led us into foreign missions work. I, I wanted, ever since my first year out of Bible college, to be a missionary. I prayed God called me to be a missionary. You know, I read God planted five seeds and command those for Christ and, you know, all those books. And uh, I got the feeling one time, but you know, it's got to be more than feeling. Your feelings are fickle. They'll lead you astray. And, uh, you know, God has three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and wait a while. Yes. When I was 50 years old, God said, sick them. So we've been working, and, and now I wish I could be on the mission field full-time, but that's not God's plan for me. And we have to stay in God's plan because He knows best, okay? I, I like to liken full-time um, service, or hey, not just full-time service, the whole Christian life, all of us, okay? Uh, we're all in full-time ministry. Some of us pick up our check at the church. Some of us pick our check at the bank. Some of us pick up our check at the office. Okay? We're all in full-time service. So, uh, anyway, I'm just, just having a ball doing what God called me to do. So, what we do is raise monthly support for the indigenous men in this 1040 window. Let's see. Let's get the slides going here. Sorry my wife can't be here tonight. She has her sister and brother-in-law in town and also her older brother, O.G., whom some of you might remember, just got out of the hospital for five days. Um, we're out of Metro Baptist Church at Billisville, Tennessee. If you go up through Nashville, as you're heading out of town, it's at exit 97, right on the right. Big beige building, big green roof there. We run about, about five or 600 there. Uh, it's the one the tornado took out in 05, if you remember. Brand new 400, no, it was four years old, 600-seat auditorium, poof, gone in seconds. Well, you know about the tornadoes. You're not that far from Tuscaloosa, are you? <laughs> so anyway... Uh, we've, we've had our experiences with those, okay? Uh, I need to point this way, don't I? I think. Okay, what did I do wrong? I'm not advancing. Ah, there we go. I got to back up one. I went too far. There we go. Okay, here, here is our window. This, uh, this rectangular box, and I hit the wrong button again. Ah, there we go. That rectangular box is the 1040 window. Bottom line is the 10th degree parallel north of the equator. Top line is the 40th degree north of the equator. Two-thirds of the world's population lives in that window. Most of those unreached people groups that Pastor Carter mentioned a while ago live in that 1040 window. Not all, but most. 4.75 billion people, my latest statistic, and it's 95% unevangelized. 69 countries, only two allow outside Christian missionaries in, okay? That's Thailand and Cambodia. Uh, we just pulled out of northern Thailand because the tribal groups there are pretty well saturated with the gospel. They're now rated at 70% evangelized and 60% Christian. <laughs> America's nowhere close to 60% Christian, not as far as born again goes, okay? All right. Um, the other is Cambodia. We just opened Cambodia in July. Made my first survey trip into there two years ago. Took a while to get everything in order, get certain documents and things that we needed, translated into their uh, premier language, and so we're ready to go. I'm going back in in about two weeks, back to meet my, my national director and our pastors there, and, 
And so next time we come by, we'll have some more updates for you on, on Cambodia. Uh, this is Cambodia. If you remember, that's where Pol Pot, back from 75 to 78, you of the Vietnam era, when he followed the Communist Manifesto right down the line, slaughtered somewhere between 2 and 5 million of his own people setting up communism. I visited the killing fields there in Phnom Penh, and it is, if you don't have a strong stomach, you don't want to go. Uh, so Cambodia is one of our fields. It's only 3% Christian. Vietnam is one of our fields. It is only 5% Christian, 90, people, 90 million people. Uh, Myanmar is, is the highest percentage of Christians because of the work of Adoniram Judson started 200 years ago, 203 years ago now, 1812 is when he went. India is only 2.1% Christian, 1.3 billion people. That means over 1 billion of them are still lost without Christ. Now, why can't we go into the other countries as missionaries, the other 67 countries? Well, it's because of the religious makeup. Your Muslim countries are your green countries, okay? You think they'd let you in as a missionary? Not unless you want your head on a chopping block, and they'd be glad to oblige you. Hmm? Uh, India and Nepal are Hindu, and the Hindu, the radical Hindu, most of the upper caste Hindu, the top three caste, really, really hate Christianity. Two of our men have been martyred there just by the Hindu people, not by the military, not by the police, not by the government, just by the Hindu people. The rural people of India, the poorer three castes, are more open to the gospel. It's our most fruitful field. The devil hates our work there so much. In 2013, he had me permanently banned from India. One Hindu filed a complaint against me, and that's all it took to get me permanently banned. I showed up at midnight one night in 2013, November, with seven years left on my 10-year visa. They set me down in a straight-back chair and started firing questions at me like I was a criminal because of one complaint. Two big burly armed guards weighed about 350 pounds apiece, about six foot eight. They were giants. Armed, uniformed, escorted me back to the plane I came in on, took me to the back row, set me in the corner seat with a document telling me I was permanently banned from ever entering India again. And we haven't been able to get that reversed. But we're not about to give up on that work because it's our most fruitful field. For instance, last quarter, our approximately 80 missionaries, a little over that, that we're supporting in that whole area, including Southeast Asia, reported some uh, 3,950 professions of faith. One quarter. 2,800 of them were out of India with just 22 guys. It's our most fruitful field. You see, the devil's mad because too many of his goats are getting born again as sheep. Yes. So uh, we have the victory in Christ Jesus. Revelation 12, 11 spells it out. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb Amen. and by the word of the testimony. So he can give us a black eye. He can give us a setback. But we have victory in Jesus, and we don't have to cower and run. Uh, and someone said one time, if you've never had a head-on collision with the devil, you might be going in the same direction. So if you're doing something for the Lord, you're going to have a collision with that old slew foot from time to time, okay? All right. Uh, now, here's some of my guys. We've been talking about India. Here's some of my men in India. Most of the churches now are house churches. There's, there's this Baptist church name, Bethel Baptist Church, right on the wall. We are now helping him build a, a new building, okay? Uh, Brother John um, Kandavali, uh, Brother Yashahaya Manda, 
Um, Brother Agria, Jesupandam. By the way, that's not a cow shed. That's his home. Now, the next time you start saying, poor me, I'm so poor, my home is so poor and run down, and I, uh, you're looking in the wrong direction. You're looking at your banker's house. You're looking at the grocery store owner's house. You're looking at the car dealership owner's house. You're looking at your mayor's house. You're looking at the politician's house. Turn around and look the other way. Folks, you're one of the top 6% of the wealthiest people in the world living in America. Now, count your blessings. Look this way a while and count your blessings. This is a typical Indian village out in the state of Orissa. I call them row houses. They're about, each family lives in a spot about 12 feet wide and goes all the way through under that thing. The bad thing about this is if somebody's cooking fire gets a little too high and a spark hits that ceiling, the whole village is gone. That's just nothing but a haystack for a roof. And it happens. It happens. Uh, another mountain village. And I, I've taken these pictures myself. We've been there in these places in India, okay? Here we are in, uh, in Vietnam. We're meeting um, with uh, Pastor May Du and several of other our supported men there in the southern portion of Vietnam uh, in his church that was built by a, a Baptist church group out of Myanmar. They, they paid for the building of this. They were somewhat mission-minded, okay? And uh, we're giving them talking Bibles right here that one of my sponsors down in Florida bought 200 of them for me. We got them in different languages. And we took them over and distributed these men. And they put them in, when they go into a village to evangelize, if they get, whether anybody gets saved or not, if they get someone to agree to, that's interested to play this talking Bible one or two nights a week, it's solar powered, people come in to hear the Word of God Amen. in their own language or dialect and read by one of their own people so they understand it. It's not like a southerner listening to, to somebody from Boston. <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So uh, one of the main things we do when we are visiting our men over there is uh, discipling them and their church people. We go in with Bible in hand. And uh, sometimes I have, well, I have several different prepared sermons, but I try to stay very, very sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Often, when I go into like a house church, I will teach them the wordless bracelet. How many have ever heard of the wordless book from Child Evangelism Fellowship? Okay, anyone? Okay, some of the old timers. Yeah, all right. Just a wordless bracelet, same colors, but I've got seven colors. And uh, what we're trying to do is raise up an army of soul winners among all the membership. See, God never intended just for the pastor and the church staff to do all the ministry. You read Ephesians 4.12. Uh, the Bible tells us the reasons for the leadership gifts there. It's for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. All of us are to be ministers of the gospel and ministers of the word of God. So we're, we're helping to raise up a whole, I take thousands of these over with me each time. We have them in little Ziploc bags and packs of 10. We pass out the strings, and then we pass out the beads one at a time, and we teach them uh, the plan of salvation and how to witness. With it. I'll give it to you real quick. Black represents our sin, for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. I actually teach them three verses for each color so they can use the same bracelet to witness to the same person three different times and never use the same verse twice. For how often is it, Pastor Malcolm, that you win a person to Christ the first time you witness to them? 
Not very often. What are you going to tell them the next time you have a chance to witness to them? How about a different set of verses? Huh? Yeah. The white, uh, the red rather, represents the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 7. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all righteousness. Cleanses us. Isaiah 1, 18. God pleads with the sinner. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as snow. Wow. Precious verses. Precious verses. The goal will be, be for all those that receive Christ as Savior. There is His promise of eternal life in heaven. Revelation speaks of heaven as being the city of gold. As a transparent glass. Imagine gold so pure. You can see through it like a glass window pane. Wow. Blue represents the waters of baptism. Anytime you see a, a picture of a, of a lake, a stream, a river, an ocean, it's always blue, okay? We know that baptism doesn't save, but it's the next step for every believer, amen? And it's a part of the Great Commission. We'll get into that a little later tonight, okay? Green represents uh, growth. Anytime you look at the garden, you see it's green. Hey, boy, we're going to have good produce this year. You see the trees are green, the fruit trees are green. Hey, they're healthy, they're growing, they're alive, they're going to be fruit producing. So that, that represents our Christian growth. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.18. The purple represents royalty. Kings and queens wear purple. Remember when Herod marked Jesus, mocked Jesus, he put his own purple robe on him. But he who laughs last, laughs best. Hmm. Jesus is coming back one day as King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. And the Bible teaches us that those who serve him faithfully now will rule and reign with him for the thousand-year millennium of Christ. Yeah. See, God is a just God, and he rewards us in direct proportion, and actually more abundantly so, for our service. The parable of the talents teaches us that. Remember, he gave the one man, the Lord gave the one man five talents. I'm going on a journey. Put them to work. Now, it could have been weight-wise five talents. A talent weighs 50 pounds. Imagine a gold bar, 50 pounds. We're talking heavy, heavy stuff here. Five years, the Lord comes back, says, that, okay, give account of your stewardship. Sir, I've worked hard. Your five talents have gained five talents more. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Go thou and be ruler over ten cities. Direct proportion to his service. To one that gave three, he gained three talents more. Be thou ruler over six cities. Oh, but remember the one that hid his talents? He represents the lost person said, I'll not have this God rule over me. I'll live my own life the way I please. So he hid the talent. And man, the Lord was wroth with him. Take his talent from him. Give him to the one that has ten. Hey, Lord, he's got ten already. That's right. I can trust him. Give it to him. He'll multiply it more. And take that unfaithful service and cast him into outer darkness. I want to hear that well done, don't you? Amen. So that's the purple bee. That's the purple bee. All right, let's move on. So that's part of the discipleship that we teach our men. And, and I teach them, they're church people when I go into their churches, but we equip them to go and teach their people as well. We give them printed sheets of the, all three of the verses for each color and it's translated into their own language so they can take and, and multiply their ministry efforts that way. Uh, this is Brother... His father-in-law 
has contracted cancer. He's one of the men we were supporting. He can no longer serve. His son-in-law, who's been under several years of, of Bible training from my late national director, Brother Nguyen Bayou, and he's very experienced. He's also had six months uh, Bible study under CMA, Christian Missionary Alliance, and he was already had his own ministry, different villages he was evangelized, and now he's taken over his father-in-law's ministry, and uh, that's not the bike there, but in the background, just a couple of years ago, we bought uh, his father-in-law a, a, a brand-new motorbike, one of my old football buddies from South Mississippi had, uh, had bought it for him. And so his father-in-law has already turned that motorbike over to him. So he's taken over his father-in-law's outreach ministries as well as his own. So we're very pleased about the way God has uh, worked that situation out there in Vietnam. This is my, uh, my new director in Vietnam, uh, Brother Dot. He's a graduate of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. His English is almost perfect. And having good English, being able to read, write, and speak good English is a necessity, besides being called to preach and trained, uh, for being our national director in one of these countries, okay? This is Brother uh, uh, Meng Lao. He is, a, he is a great man. When Brother Bai passed away about three years ago, he immediately stepped up and took his own Bible study notes from his Bible training and stuff, and, and, and has been for several years now, ever since Brother Bai passed away, has been having his own weekly discipleship lessons for young preacher boys he's working with, they're at his own church. They study and fellowship Saturday morning. And Saturday afternoon, they break up and go to their different villages areas, evangelizing and discipling their new converts and getting ready for the Lord's day the next day. The old saying goes, the cream rises to the top. Brother Bang Lallis, some of that rich cream, a leader of leaders. Uh, this is Brother Paul, my national director in Myanmar. And uh, I go out with him sometimes on these motorbikes to visit these small rural cities and uh, rural villages, rather. Sometimes we'll take an automobile, but uh, we, we go where they are. Here is one of our pastors there and his family. One, two, three, four, yeah, five children. Might be seven, I forget. A couple of them out of the picture there, but okay, that's, that's their, their home in the background. Here I'm in a, a house church in Clay, uh, the city of Clay on the outer edge there. This is a beautiful opportunity. The landlord for this man is a Christian. He's renting this house from him. He says, listen, if you will build a church building here, I'll give you the lot. I'll give you this place. So about $7,000 would build that church building. <laughs> the land is there. So that's the challenge for somebody to think about helping the man with, okay? So here I am teaching the Word of God, discipling his little house church group of people there. Folks, we cannot put enough emphasis on the importance of discipleship. Discipleship. Here's a, uh, one of the churches that was built from that flood disaster, a 500-year flood that hit Calais Township July two years ago. And uh, 150,000 people were displaced, had to move to higher ground. And for months, their villages were still hip deep in mud, couldn't even get in and get their belongings out. So we, we sent a lot of relief to a lot of these, we called them tent cities, most of them were pure Burmese, Buddhist, and formerly would not let even their own people who were Christian come in and share the gospel. But you know what? Desperate people do desperate things. God had their attention. And, and, our, and our partners responded and sent money. And we sent money over. And they bought big bags, 50 pound, no, 50 kg, 105 pound bags of rice, Oil, cooking oil, 
uh, blankets, mosquito nets, uh, writing tablets and pencils for the school children. It softened their heart. It opened their hearts to the gospel. And this is one of those villages where we were sent to help, and uh, they needed a water well. Because the village, the Buddhists on the other side of the village that had the water well wouldn't share their village, wouldn't, wouldn't share their water. So, Visit Beaver Tree Service, that's my tent making trade, put in a water well there for them. $700 to put in a water well with a pump. And uh, so here we are getting to pump the water for them right there. And that's, that's the pastor, the missionary we support. That's his people in the background there, his brother's own. And um, that building is now bricked up. Our sponsors, again, have taken up the challenge and helped them build that building from scratch. They're doing the work. We're providing the materials. Here I'm preaching to them just this past March there uh, in their building. But it's almost finished now. Discipleship. Here we are in, in Lasho. That's the... Uh, largest northernmost city of uh, Shan State to the northeast of Myanmar. It's considered the most spiritually dark state of Myanmar. There's probably more tribes there than, than any other of the particular states. Uh, there's warfare going on in three different aspects. There's the rebel forces fighting against the Burmese army. There's the uh, drug cartel who are often more heavily armed than the army, fighting against the Myanmar army. For you see, this is in the golden triangle. The poppy, opium, heroin, capital of the world. So they don't even let me go into those areas. Okay, it's too dangerous. The third is that you have tribal warfare going on over, over territory. And that's another story behind that from an orphanage that happened there. So here we are in Lasho. We're supporting about two dozen men in, in this Shan State northern area. They have come in as well as about another 50 area pastors and missionaries. Why? For more Bible training. Very few of them have more than a year and a half of Bible training. So we're constantly coming in and, and teaching. There's a... a Two main subjects we teach, Bible doctrine and evangelism. But we all, we'll also teach on other issues too. For instance, that the charismatic movement is taking over the world. Unless you've been on the mission field, you won't understand that. Well, what's the problem with that? They're just worshiping a false Holy Spirit. You read John 16, 14, 15, and 16, and you read the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises to come. And then you go compare that Holy Spirit to the one that they're supposedly worshiping in their charismatic services, and you don't have to shake your head and say, that's not the same Holy Spirit. Quick test. What person of the Godhead do the charismatics exalt more than any other? The Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 16 says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he shall not speak of himself, but he shall take of mine and show it unto you. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit never exalts himself. The Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus and him alone. That one point, that one point alone is enough to show you the error of the way. Brother Ben, please teach on it again. Our people don't hear this kind of teaching. All they hear is the charismatic stuff, and it has an influence on them. 
Well, why are the charismatics so strong? I'll tell you why. Because the charismatics have been supporting indigenous missionaries for a hundred years. Most Baptist churches to this day still have a mindset against supporting the nationals. So by default, we've turned it over to them. Your pastor's wised up. <laughs> and God is blessing. All right. So here I am teaching a three-day Bible conference uh, in Lasho. The Bible is our final authority for all matters of faith, doctrine, and practice. How we do our ministries, how we do our worship services, how we live our lives. We've, here I am teaching the, the five fundamentals to them right here. Again, giving talking Bibles for our missionaries we support in the different languages there. And they are being very effective. If they have a church, most of them is just a simple bamboo building like this one on top of the hill. All bamboo structure is, except that they did have a little bit of a tin roof on that. A lot of times it's just a thatch roof as well. Well, we started supporting this missionary, and wow, with that support money, he was able to reach out farther and faster. Within six months, the church had grown to the point that they had, uh, they had torn it down, had the, had the superstructure and the roof up for, for another building about four times that big. <laughs> no floor, no walls. So, hey, they're that energetic. They're that industrious. We jumped in and helped finish the building out for them. And it's a, it's a beautiful building. I've preached in that new building now. Now, uh, can anybody find the squirrel up in that tree? I'm the squirrel. I grew up on a tree farm in Piney Woods in South Mississippi. And as kids growing up, we didn't have a lot of toys. We had to entertain ourselves. One of our favorite pastimes was climbing trees. We'd climb those pine saplings or those persimmon or sassafras saplings, saplings and get them swinging and then ride them down. Turn them loose. <laughs> Don't have any mountains down south of Mississippi. So if you wanted to see out, you find the tallest pine on the highest hill and you climb to the tippy top just to see what you can see. And those long leaf yellow pine, <laughs> there's not a limb for 70 feet. <laughs> you got to shinny that thing, you know. All right. So uh, uh, I'm a tree surgeon by trade. I top, trim, remove, whatever, okay? There's that tree coming down there. There's my little trim saw. <laughs> oh, boy. Here's a, here's a big one. Uh, that tree, well, you'll see the butt of it in a minute, but it was hanging out over that mobile home. It was rotten on the offside and in the middle. I'll show you how rotten it was in a minute. The insurance company had already canceled the insurance because of that tree threatening that mobile home, okay? One that big, each, each limb is a tree size in itself, okay? You got to bring it down in pieces. When we got that baby down, even at knee high, that stump measured with a tape measure, seven foot six and three eight inches. That's a big one. That's, that's, that's our record. That's the biggest one we've done. But you can see how dangerous it was. Look how rotten the center of it is. And there was two open cavities besides that. So uh, now, now why am I showing you this? I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not already doing. I'm a weird duck. I'm a missionary with working hands growing up on that farm. Most of the money that we take in, the profit, and most of it is profit because we have a low overhead, goes to the mission field. For instance, those three-day Bible conferences we teach, those, those cost about $3,000 each. And, and the override from our miniature support doesn't always cover that. I'd be, be teaching three of those Bible conferences in two weeks in Myanmar, last two weeks in November. Uh, teaching more in Vietnam, teaching more in uh, Cambodia. Folks, salvation is free. The gospel is free. The word of God is free. But it costs to deliver the message. 
for how should they preach except they be sent. So when your pastor asks you to sacrificially give to missions and support missionaries, it's to get the gospel over there, according to the scripture, okay? And so I'm doing a lot of extra work. They did five tree jobs just last week, average five trees per job, okay? So uh, I'm working hard to help provide funds, and we so, so trying to set a good example for others to do extra things to help support foreign missions. Now we need two, three types of sponsorships for each of these uh, missionaries. We need family, ministry outreach, and training. By the way, your church is providing the family support, $50 a month, for 30 of my missionaries. Plus, we hold a $200 override off of that for our ministry expenses. I'm not talking about at home. I'm talking about what buys my plane ticket and puts me in one- and two-star hotels and feeds me when I'm on the mission field, okay? It all goes to mission work, okay? So uh, uh, I wanted to know what you're doing, okay? Family sponsorships are either $50 or $35 a month, and that's just for the basic family needs, okay? The outreach, ministry outreach, is his work fund, so to speak. It'll buy him fuel for his motorbike if he has one, or buy a bus ticket out of town near the next village he wants to evangelize. Then he has to get off the bus and walk the rest of the way or whatever. Uh, it provides him food while he's out doing evangelism. Uh, sometimes they'll, they'll stay several days in a given area. If it's so far to travel, you know, they make the best of it. Well, they need a place to sleep, need to eat while they're out. So that, that little bit of $25 is their, their work fund, okay? They can buy gospel tracts and a few Bibles and whatever they can get out of it, okay? Um, then the training, $15 a month, is the ongoing training that our national director is responsible for them. They call them in every quarter have a day of training with them, collect their written reports, which are forwarded on to your sponsors, and then give them their support that, they've, they've, that we've sent over for that particular quarter, okay? Uh, we have a very, very high level of accountability. I call it a three-pronged accountability program. Uh, number one, I got a national director who's there with them all year long, and that, that national director has to know each man personally. In most cases, he's won him to Christ and discipled him. Or he, if he didn't win him to Christ, he's been in a part, had a big part in his training, Bible training and discipleship. So he knows him very well and knows his character, knows his home, knows his family life, knows his worth ethic, knows his integrity. So he has to be the main voice in selecting the men that we support. The second level is, as I mentioned, we require them to write quality reports. Now, if you haven't seen one of those reports, you tell Brother Jeff. Say, Brother Jeff, here is my email address. Forward these reports to me that Brother Ben sends. Or if you don't have email, then have him print out some of those supports, reports from your men so you can read them. We assign them six different subjects to write on each quarter. All right. Uh, 80% of the funds that come in designated for missionary support goes to that missionary. As I mentioned, a portion of it is held back, 20%. For accountability, again, that's not my salary, but that's my expenses going to and from the different countries. That allows each sponsor to, to share equally in the accountability expense. And there must be accountability because there's con artists and shysters in every corner of the world and in every walk of life. You might even have a few in, uh, in Coleman, you reckon? <laughs> okay. As the, old, as the old saying goes, people don't do, do what, they don't do what you expect, they do what you inspect yes okay so we are providing that accountability for the missionaries that you have uh, 
that you've helped us support these many years now. Okay, let's get into our, our Bible and, uh, and see what we have to learn from God's Word. Let me ask you to stand for a moment, stretch a little bit. And uh, they, they taught us in Bible college years ago, the mind can, um, cannot absorb any more than the seat can endure. So, <laughs> all right, while you're standing, let me just mention, I passed out as many of these as I could as you were coming in the door. If you didn't get one, please pick up one of these at my table. I need prayer warriors. We're going to be amazed when we get to heaven and find out how much was accomplished by prayer. Any of you read the book, Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds? Good. He's my distant cousin, fourth cousin, fifth removed. His favorite saying of mine is, God moves men. Prayer moves God. So all men ought to pray. Amen? Jesus taught us that. So I need prayer warriors. That will remind you to pray for us. Let's read our first text, and we will, then we'll have a, have a word of prayer and sit down and get into God's Word. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All power is given unto me, Jesus says. He has the power. Go ye therefore, he gives us as his servants the authority. What's the difference? Well, if you see the blue lights coming on behind your vehicle, what do you do? You pull over. Now, he may not have the power to put your car over, but he has the authority. But he has access to the Alabama National Guard, and there's the power. Hmm? They, they can roll a tank out in the road, and I guarantee you. <laughs> you understand the difference in power and authority? Okay. Jesus has the power. He gives us the authority to go in his name. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's evangelism. Preach the gospel to them. Win them to Jesus Christ. That's point number one. There's two point, three points to the Great Commission. Baptizing them, number two. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And we've already touched on the fact that baptism doesn't save us. It's just the first step of obedience for the new believer. Show me a person that says he's been born again and refuses to be baptized. I've got red flags flying everywhere. I have no confidence in his profession of faith. Why should I believe he's a follower of Christ when he refuses to take the first step as the new believer that Jesus gives us? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the third point, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's called discipleship. That's why you're here tonight. But oh, look at all those Bibles. My goodness, what a beautiful sight. You've come to, to worship God and learn His work with Bibles in hand. Wow. Now, a couple of you may have those little phones and things, but uh, still the Word of God, amen, whether it's electronic or whether it's paper, praise God, you've got your Bible here. So, and discipleship is local church responsibility. You think the public school is going to disciple your, your, your children? <laughs> I don't think so. God's been kicked out of the schools back in the early 60s when I was in high school. You had already graduated college by then, hadn't you, brother? <laughs> All right, 1965. Okay, um, what about the government? Is the government going to uh, disciple your children? I don't think so. That's local church responsibility. That's why you have Sunday school. why you have vacation Bible school. That's why you have Bible conferences and different things. Discipleship. That's why you have your, uh, 
your, your uh, uh, I'm calling this wrong, but dis celebrate discovery, outreach classes and things. You're reaching people with the gospel and you're deciphering them. It's a major part, a major part of Jesus' great commission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and share with Temple Baptist Church of Coleman, our strongest supporting church. The work you've called us to do, the work that you've allowed us to partner with them in carrying out your great commission. Now, Father, teach us something about the importance of discipleship from your word tonight. Help us to be more ardent about our own personal discipleship. and Give us the desire to get involved with discipling others in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we've given you the, the three points of the, the Great Commission. And I'm looking for my glasses. I got some somewhere. Ah. Oh, by the way, thank you. Uh, I am dressed in Sean tonight. This is the, uh, the dress of the Sean people that I mentioned from Sean State. That's the predominant tribe in that area. Another one of the tribes in Sean State, they're also in, uh, in northern Thailand and the other countries, is Lahu. This is uh, Lahu style right here. You see, each tribe has its own style of dress, their own culture, their own customs, and even their own unique language. Isn't that something? 135 different tribes in Myanmar besides the Burmese people. A small tribe is 8 to 10,000, large tribes up to 2 million. Wow. All right. So those are the three points of the Great Commission. Acts 1-8, when it gives us the Great Commission, you find the Great Commission five times in the New Testament, the end of each of the four Gospels, again in Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8 gives us the four regions, the four geographic areas where the Great Commission is to be carried out. And you should receive power. Oh, boy, we need Holy Spirit power in our life. Amen? And every believer receives that Holy Spirit as the moment of salvation because it's the Holy Spirit that brings about the new birth. The Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God. And, folks, there will be no salvation until the Word of God is preached or shared in personal witness, personal testimony. The Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God. The Holy Spirit convinces us of its truth, convinces us of our sinfulness, convinces us of our need of salvation, and the Holy Spirit even brings about repentance and the gift of faith in our hearts and lives to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And when we are obedient to that gospel message and that leading of the Holy Spirit, we're born of the Spirit into the family of God. So we have as much of the Holy Spirit at spiritual birth that we'll ever have. The next question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Are you yielded to Him? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you being obedient to the Word, okay? After that, the Holy Ghost will come with you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. And here's the four geographic areas. In Jerusalem. Does that, does that mean that you have to go to start your ministry in Jerusalem? <laughs> no. Jesus was just outside the city wall on the Mount of Olives looking over Jerusalem when he made the statement. What it's saying is you start with the gospel in your hometown, Coleman, Alabama, surrounding areas, surrounding county, surrounding cities. How far is our mission field? As far as somebody will drive here. That's your Jerusalem here. Who drives the farthest? Who drove the farthest, you think, to get to church tonight? 
They don't even care to venture a guess. Young lady, how many miles did you drive to get here? Did I hear 40? Wow. Yes, sir. 62 miles. Wow. So you take your, take your map, take an old high school compass, put the point of that compass on the map right here where your church is, and you, you draw that circle around, 62 miles out. That's your Jerusalem, as far as people were driving. And Judea, what's Judea? That's the second geographic area. That's the rest of the nation. Your church probably supports some home missionaries, men who are church and planting churches in areas of the United States where they don't have an independent fundamental Baptist church. Home missions. And Samaria, the third geographic region. Now that one used to baffle me. For you see, Samaria is where the northern ten tribes once were before taken off the captivity because of their idolatry. So it was within the original boundaries of Israel. So why would Jesus specifically point out Samaria? Well, they hauled off most of the uh, ten northern tribes because of their idolatry, the Assyrians did, left the poorest in the land, and then they moved their Assyrian people down to assimilate with them. Two things happened. Number one, they intermarried and created a whole new culture, a whole new language even, and they even created their own religion, which was kind of a mixture of Judaism and pagan idolatry worship. The pure Jews in the south of Benjamin and Judah would have nothing to do with those Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They were a different culture. They considered them non-Jewish. Why would Jesus specifically point out the Samaritans? In a nutshell, because there's no room and the heart of a Christian for prejudice. And that's a strong human Adamic nature tendency in all of us. My South Mississippi country farmer father taught me this. Ben, God created every man. God loves every man. And Jesus died for every man. Don't you ever fail to share the gospel with a man because of the color of his skin, the nap of his hair, and from a World War II soldier who fought the Japs in the South Pacific yep. or the slant of his eyes. You know what the greatest lesson people, Peter learned when he took the gospel to Cornelius' house, the Gentile house, in Acts chapter 10? I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. The ground is level, the cross. There's no big eyes and little U's. There's no race or ethnic group any better than the other. We all bleed the same. Amen? We all have the same Adamic nature, and we're all in need of God's grace and salvation. Amen? Who are your Samaritans? Hmm? What other ethnic groups in the Cullman area are different from you? Are they Latinos? Or the Laotian? Or the Myanmarians? We've got 3,000 Myanmarians in the Nashville area, political refugees. Pastor Al Henson, former pastor of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Antioch, Tennessee, told me at breakfast five years ago that the little area of Antioch, southeast Tennessee, Nashville, has 117 different languages spoken in it. Who are your Samaritans? Reach them with the gospel. 
when, when the persecution begins against the church in Acts chapter 8, Philip the deacon is the first one the Bible follows to take the gospel outside Jerusalem. And guess where he went? To the Samaritans. And a tremendous revival broke out. Read the first part of chapter 8 and see. All right, and then the last part, the fourth geographic area, is the uttermost part of the earth. Now we really get into our foreign missions approach tonight, okay? So those are the four geographic areas. Now, the book of Acts is going to give us the progression of the early church carrying out this great commission. We notice we've already talked about the indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We know that 50 days after Passover, the day Jesus was crucified, Pentecost took place. Jesus said, now you tarry in Jerusalem until you be endured with, endued with power from on high. And the Holy Spirit came, and let's, let's look at a couple other results of that. First of all, though, in Acts 2, let's look at the ones who had shown up in Jerusalem for this Jewish Feast of Pentecost. Now, those ten northern tribes have been scattered all over the Mediterranean area. But those devout Jews, every year, or at least periodically, would come back from whatever far-flung nation they'd been scattered to. They'd make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for that particular day of that Old Testament Feast of Pentecost. It's an Old Testament holy day. Okay? That's where the term comes from in the Bible. And it names the different countries they're from here in chapter 2. Let's pick up at about verse 9. Well, verse, verse 8 and uh, verse 9. Okay, here they name them. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Persia and Pamphylia and in Egypt. Now, he's naming countries. Now, here's something else that I've discovered about these countries. Each country is not limited to one language. Imagine Myanmar with 135 different languages besides Burmese. Imagine India, 25 states, 26 states now. <laughs> 24 different major languages in India, usually by states. But 2,500 tribal languages and counting. So if I was to suggest to you that each nation listed here would have, could have had 10 languages represented there, that would be a very conservative figure. Now, if well, hey, man, we speak English here in the U.S. That's hard for us to grasp, I know. But we still have an immigrants coming in. They're bringing their language with them. We have a lot of Latinos. Here's the way I wrap my mind around that the way it is in, in, in the 1040 window. What were the Americas like in 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue? How many Native American tribes were here with all the very different cultures and customs and style of dress and language? That's the way it still is over there. So it's naming these countries, and then notice he changes the pace right in the middle. Listen to how this works. And parts of Libya about Serene. Serene, or Cyrene, ever how you want to pronounce it, is a seaport town on the Mediterranean in Libya. But that's not all he says about it. And strangers uh, about 
about serving in strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes. He specifically points out proselytes. See, what has happened here is God just put his finger on a man, but he hasn't called his name yet. <laughs> but Jeff, you ever have anybody put their finger on you? <laughs> you ever have your daddy say, you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Multiple times. Yeah. You ever have, maybe the young teenager or young worker, you ever have your boss come up and put your finger on you? You. I need you to do this. Well, God just put a finger on a man here, okay? He's identified him as a proselyte from Serene, the city, and the country of Libya. We're going to follow him. We're going to find out his name after a while. You know who he is. You just don't know who he is. <laughs> Not yet, okay? All right. Don't forget that. God just put his finger on a man here. Proselyte. What was a proselyte? That was a Gentile convert to Christianity. So that tells us this man that God just put his finger on wasn't a natural-born Jew. But he's converted to Judaism, okay? And he has come, along with all these other people, for this particular feast day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And then he picks up the pace again. Uh, Cretes, Arabians, and so on. And the biggest point here is they hear the disciples when the Holy Spirit indwells them speak the wonderful works of God in their own native tongue. He names 16 different countries here. If there were 10 languages represented in each, by each country, there was 160 languages spoken by those 120 believers <laughs> from the upper room that day. But now here's the most important thing. Everybody understood and their own native tongue. You remember that if you ever go to a charismatic church and you compare the two. Hmm? All right, let's keep moving. We know the outcome of this tremendous meeting. Verses 41 and 42 of Acts chapter 2. 41 and 42. Let me turn my page right here. And they that gladly received his word. Peter had gotten up and preached. We're baptized. Hey, first step of a new believer. First evidence of genuine salvation. And, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. Folks, that's always the, the, the evidence and the results of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Evangelism. Not some ethereal, erratic Emotional experience? Come on, give me a break. Compared to the Bible, evangelism is always the results of the indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Look down at uh, verse 47. Oh, let's back up. 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread in prayers. Why do we point out the word doctrine? Discipleship. Discipleship immediately begins with these new believers. Discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. It is never enough to win a person to Christ and leave them. That's as irresponsible as birthing a baby into the world, even at the hospital, walking out the hospital, laying the little darling on the front steps, said, Okay, darling, 
The world's yours. Go for it. What's the chances of that infant surviving? What is the chance of a newborn babe in Christ surviving without someone to disciple him, to spiritually nourish him, mentor him, take him to church with him? Yeah, go by the house and pick him up if you have to. Hmm? It's all part of discipleship. And they continue this. Verse 40, uh, 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house. They've got daily home Bible study going on. They're continually discipling new believers. You can start a Bible study in your home, on your street, in your neighborhood, and begin reaching your neighbors with Christ by piquing their interest with Bible study with the ultimate goal of leading them to Christ and getting them into your church. Folks, remember, this is Jesus' church. Jesus, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus came to establish His church. If your home Bible study becomes a separate entity from the church, you've just taken a wrong turn. A lot of people who have home Bible study groups but don't go to church, they've listened to one of Satan's lies. Oh, we don't believe in organized religion. Hey, I don't believe in a religion either. Religion is man-made. But don't compare that to Jesus' church. Jesus' church is not based on works, man-made religion. It's based on salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus' church. It's not Pastor Carter's church. It's just the undership. It's Jesus's church. So you make sure your home Bible study is firmly connected with the church and channeling people into the church. And don't you dare let it become a gossip session, criticizing the staff members or having the roast preacher. Ooh, you've just made a big wrong turn there. You make sure your, your home Bible study glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ and His church and His people and His pastor and His elders, His staff members, if you please, His deacons. Discipleship. Discipleship. One last verse, verse 47. Pray in God and have in favor with all the people. And the Lord added daily to the home Bible study group such as should be saved. I didn't read that right, did it? And the Lord added daily to the church. church those that should be saved. Folks, oh, by the way, read Acts chapter 11, and you will find the answer to the man God put his finger on. My time's up, and I don't have time to tell you who he is. You'll find him in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 21. You'll find him again in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. He planted the great missionary church of Antioch in chapter 11. He's there given by name in chapter 13. And turn to Mark chapter 15, and you'll find what he's most noted for. Look it up. If you can't figure it out, Get my brochure. My email address is on there. Give me an email. Give me a phone call, and I'll help you with it. Pastor Carter, Lord bless you.
There we go. All right, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. Now, how many of y'all going to go do your homework? All right, all right. At least lie to me. How many of y'all going to go do your homework? All right, that's better. That's better. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask brother, uh, uh, the Lord to bless brother, brother Ben and his work and what he's doing. Brother Ben, if you'll go ahead and find your place out at the tables, that way and greet you when they leave. Uh, just, just stop by and let him know you're, you're praying for him in the ministry and, uh, and, and, and pray that God will have his way. 